You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit sojournmontrose.org. Amen. Okay, so the first thing we, I think we need to do is, is just take a look at uh, actually a different part of Proverbs, and we're going to be jumping around quite a bit, so bear with me as I kind of flip back and forth and make sure I find all my, my places and things like that. But we're actually going to start in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 14. Um, and I'm going to use it to essentially make a point and then for us to jump off from that point. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 14 says this, A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear? A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. What is this proverb telling us? What this proverb is telling us is that our inner life is more important than we think. And that what he's saying is that if, if, if our spirit is strong, if we're doing well on the inside, if, 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 if our spirit is well equipped, then we can endure sickness. We can endure the physical difficulties of the body. We can deal with the external difficulties that we face on a day-to-day basis. But, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? So what's, what's he essentially saying, right? He's saying that if we if we walk in circumstances that are poor and our spirit is strong, then we move out into the world in strength. But even if circumstances are really, really great, if our spirit is broken, we move out into the world in weakness. Right? He's, he's highlighting for us the primacy of the inner being, the priority of the inner being for us. Now, why this is so important is is precisely because our culture tells us the exact opposite, which is that our happiness, our worth, our value, our experience of joy in life, our health in the inner being comes from that which is external to us. But the Bible argues otherwise, and not just in Proverbs. The Bible argues for that in, in other books, like when Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. He's writing to this church who is uh, being persecuted and who is dealing with all kinds of issues and external pressures and difficulties of life in first century Rome, right? He knows the struggles that they're dealing with, and yet this is what he prays for them. I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 3, and you, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but Ephesians chapter 3 um, Paul is going to write down his prayer for the church at Ephesus. And this is, this is what he writes. For this reason, starting in verse 14, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. What's Paul saying there? You'll notice that Paul doesn't pray for any of their struggles. You read the rest of the prayer. It's the same, right? Paul's not praying for, I I pray for Sally's dog, and we we like each other's dogs, so I'm not down on that, but right? He's not praying for Sally's dog. He's not saying, I hope that your paycheck gets bigger. I hope that that your house comes through. I pray that 
I pray that people stop stoning you in the streets, you know, like, he doesn't say any of that. His prayer is very simple. And it's that according to the riches of God's glory, that God would grant them to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner being. Paul is acknowledging the wisdom of Proverbs, understanding that the circumstances might be poor for the people in Ephesus, but if they walk in, a, in an inner strength, a strength in their inner being given by the spirit, then they will walk in that difficulty with joy. They'll walk in it in such a way that is wise and that leads to life. So if we want to live wisely, we need to see that there's a primacy to the inner life, that there's a care that we need to take with our inner life that I think many of us uh, tend to skip over for maybe more, more simplistic or reductionistic answers to what it is that ails us, to what it is that causes us to experience life from a wounded, weary, or downcast perspective. Now, here's what I mean by being reductionistic. Oftentimes, when, we are de- when we're walking in times of deep sorrow, despair, woundedness, downcast in spirit, depending on who you're talking to, there's always a very simple answer, isn't there? Well, you just need to do this, or you just need to do this. If you walk into a self-help section, it'll be all about affirming yourself from the inside. If you go to a doctor, they'll say, here's some medicine, you should use this. If you go to a Christian, they'll say, are you moral enough? If you go to, right? Everybody's got their one simple little answer. And so what's the Bible's answer for us? What I appreciate about the Bible and what I think makes the Bible so compelling is that it is more nuanced than any other resource that that I've read in that it acknowledges that the source of this inner turmoil, that the source of this wounded spirit, this downcast soul can be one of many. Here's a few examples, right? Just a quick snapshot from the Proverbs, and this is where we're going to jump around quite a bit, so just, again, bear with me, right? Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30 says this, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot, right? What is, what is he doing? And again, I don't, I don't have time to excavate this as deeply or as clearly as I would like, but what, what he's saying is that there is an intimate link between emotional unhealth and physical unhealth, that there can be a physical aspect to our downcast, wounded, and weary souls, that depending on how our bodies are doing, that can affect the, the, the experience of our inner being, right? There can be an emotional, relational aspect. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25 says this, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. So where the answer for the physical might be a real physician, a doctor, a medicine, some, something that you actually need to write within you chemically, right? There could also be an emotional relational component where it's, you don't need a doctor, all you, you need a good word and not a good word. This isn't a good word from inside of you, it's a good word from outside. So what, what this is connoting for us is relationship, where essentially we, we have a need that is relational, it's, it's we need um, support. We need an accompanying grace. We need people to walk through us and to speak 
goodness to us. We just need a shoulder. We need arms. There could be a moral component, right? Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1 says this, as soon as I get there. Proverbs 28.1 says this, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Now here's what that's saying. That's saying essentially that, look, you might not even be doing things that are wrong, but because you have in the past and because you haven't dealt with those things yet, now in every instance you're running, you're, you're running from the Lord and you're running from healing because you're walking in wickedness. But then it says what? But the righteous are bold as a lion. So, the righteous walk in confidence in the fact that they're sinful, where the wicked constantly are running, right? So there might be a moral aspect to our downcast, weary souls. We're walking in wickedness, and we don't want to face up to it. There might be an existential or a philosophical con- contributor to it, right? Uh, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 13 says this, "'Even in laughter the heart may ache.'" And the end of joy may be grief. Now, what's he saying there? Now, you'll notice that he doesn't say that some people experience this, right? So this is a a universal reality, a universal reality. And he says, even in laughter, the heart may ache. What's, What's he saying? He's saying that everyone knows that the party ends at some point. Whether it's that one specific party or whether it's this party or this experience that we know as life. We know, we know that it all at some point ends, that everything that we love and cherish, all of it will eventually at one point be gone. Aren't you glad you came? Right, so if we don't find a way to deal with death or to manage that or to understand that or process it in a real way, then even in laughter the heart may ache and the, and the end of joy may be grief. And there might be a faith aspect to it, right? Proverbs 13, verse 12 says this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. What's he saying there? He said, hope deferred. So what he's saying is that thing that you have set your your hopes on for significance. And this could be anything. It could be a, a particular size paycheck. It could be a person. It could be a thing, Right? That the moment that that thing is touched or taken or removed, it becomes deferred. And that makes the heart sick. That hope deferred makes the heart sick. That when those things that we look to to fulfill us let us down, it, it makes the heart sick. So I would venture this morning that we all long to experience joy in our inner lives. And the Bible addresses all of these different areas and and ways that our inner life can suffer. So if we long to experience joy, my question then is, how do we get it, right? Well, Proverbs 10.28, like we read at the beginning, says this, The hope of the righteous brings joy. The hope of the righteous brings joy. So who experiences joy? The righteous. How do they experience it? Through their hope. Now, if you're a Christian in the room this morning, right, you should know this, right, that it was for our sake 
that Jesus became unrighteous so that we might be given His righteousness, right? So the Bible tells us that even right now, even in the midst of our sin, that we are justified, that we're righteous, that we belong to Him because of what Jesus has done, right? That that work is finished, that that's why Jesus on the cross says, it is finished. So what does that mean? That means that in this verse, we are the righteous. And again, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us. So we're the righteous. And we experience joy. Where? How? Through our hope. It's through our hope that the righteous experience joy, or it's through our hope that the righteous are brought joy. So this morning, Christian, this joy that we're going to talk about, even though you might not feel it right now, it belongs to you. It is yours in Christ. And if you're not a Christian in the room this morning, and maybe you're dealing with some really heavy stuff, this is what the Bible would posit to you is the answer. This is what the Bible, when, when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, that's his invitation to you this morning. That's what he means when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the Bible tells us that there are many ways that our souls can be negatively affected. They can become downcast, weary, and wounded, but it also illuminates, us, illuminates for us wise and foolish ways to pursue joy, all right? And I'm just going to highlight, I think, three that I think are really pertinent for just our church based on conversations that I've had. And the first one is this. This is a foolish way to pursue joy if you want joy in your inner being, if you want to move out into the world in strength from the hope of the righteous, a foolish way to pursue this kind of joy would be to live in the past or in the future. To live exclusively in the past or in the future. Right? Proverbs 12.25 said what? Proverbs 12.25 said, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. One of the ways that anxiety comes upon us is when we spend too much time living in either one of those places. And that's irrespective of whether you had a really good past or a really bad past or whether the prospects of your future are really good or are really bad. Let me give you, let me give you some examples. Let's say you had a really great past, right? Let's say for many of you, you recently graduated from college. You're here in Houston. Maybe this is your first job, right? And college was awesome, man. You had all of these friends and you had a, this built-in, tight-knit community. Maybe you competed in sports and that was great. And maybe academia was fun for you and that experience was just wonderfully life-giving. And now you are in a city that you don't know, surrounded by people you don't know, doing a job you've never done. And you're going, you know what? College was really great. Sure would be nice if life was like that again. And you spend all of your time anxious over the fact that you can't reproduce these experiences that you've had before and that life just tastes different. You know what? Maybe college was the opposite for you. 
Maybe college was a horrible place. Maybe there's, there's places even further in the recesses of your past that are deep and dark and filled with things that you don't want to think about or contemplate, and yet you are always drawn to them because your life consists of living it in such a way that you might avoid those difficulties in the future. And so you spend your life going, God, I just don't, I, I, I know I can't do that again. I don't know what I'm going to do now, but I know I can't do that again. That weighs you, that weighs you down. Now let's say you've got a really good future ahead of you, right? Everyone around you is cheering you on. You're, you're making moves in, 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 your, in your workplace. You've got a, maybe a great companion, like whatever, right? Whatever those measures are, there's, there, there's a, a, a clear path to a good life ahead of you. And you've got people all around you going, you got, you've, just got, you've got a good future ahead of you, kid. And while that might seem really desirable, you spend all of your time going, God, please don't let me screw this up. Please don't let me. You're always worried about that next step. If that next step is going to be the one domino that brings all of the rest of them down. Or you know what? Maybe the prospects for your future are really poor. Maybe there's just not much ahead for you other than the day-to-day toil that you're already living in. And so even the thought of the future encroaches upon your soul and causes you despair because you know that you don't have it within you to turn whatever this boat is around. What we need to realize we've been given in Christ is that we've given a, not just, I, I feel like what happens is this. We trust God for one of those and not for the other. You understand what I mean by that? So maybe we trust God for our past, And we say, yeah, I know all that's dealt with, all that mess. Like, God, Jesus paid for it. I'm there. But I'm really, really concerned about what's going to happen over here. And I'm worried that I'm going to screw it up like I did it, like I did then. Or maybe it's the opposite. God, I I trust you with my future, whatever. I, I can't even think a day past today. But I don't know how to deal with all that. I know you've got that, but there's still this gaping, caving chasm hole that I don't know what to do with or how to deal with it. And if you're living in either one of those camps, you're not living in the fullness of the freedom of the gospel because what God did for us is not just something that affects our past, nor is it something that just affects our future. It's something that is past, present, and future in that all that God has done for you is great and glorious in each of those regards. He's absolutely taking care of your past. And so you can begin to let go and to process the many difficult things that you may have walked through or perpetuated yourself in your evil and sinful nature. And if you can trust him for that, then you can trust him when he says that there is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. And if you can trust him for both of those things, you know what that means? That means that right now, you can look at all of the questions and the difficulties in your life, and you can say, you know what? I don't know. I don't know, but I can trust Because God is the God of my past, 
He's the God of my present, right now, orchestrating and ordaining all things together for my good. That's the wonderful truth of Romans 8. And He is the architect of my future, in that my future does not end here in this space, but it ends in a glorious new reality, in a heavenly body with Him for all eternity. Here's another foolish way to pursue joy, according to the Proverbs. Proverbs 14.30, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. We have to realize that as sinners we are sick, that we have an illness. And when you have an illness, you know what's really foolish? When you have an illness, it's really foolish to just treat the symptoms and not the underlying cause of the symptoms. Because essentially all you're doing is giving yourself a measure of comfort for a time while the illness still ravages inside of you. You're not experiencing healing, you're experiencing temporary relief, artificial healing. What Proverbs 14.30 tells us is that if we are looking to external things to heal what is happening inside of us, that darkness of soul, that depth of despair, it's only going to produce more of the same. Envy makes the bones rot, right? Isn't that what happens? When we are in despair, we, we immediately begin comparing. Well, man, if I just had this, or if this person was just part of my life, or if I just had... Envy makes the bones rot. What it's telling us is that we cannot fall into the trap of simply treating our systems instead of work, our symptoms instead of working to root out the illness that's causing those symptoms. This is one of the reasons that Jesus talks so frequently about money. Money is a way that we soothe our symptoms, but it's not a way that we find healing. Money is the dayquil. It's the dayquil for the difficulties of life. If you're not feeling well, just take another dose. But we all know that it's just masking the symptoms. True healing will come from real medicine and rest. We can't keep running back to the dayquil and act like nothing is wrong if we want to heal. Here's another foolish way to pursue joy, and this is the third and final one. Proverbs 10.28, which is back where we started, says this, The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. The expectation is elevated above hope. Expectation is elevated above hope. And why is this important for us? It's because every single day you are being sold a lie. Every single advertisement tells you that you should expect to have it your way and nothing less. Every single advertisement tells you that you should expect to be happy, that you should expect to find fulfillment within the latest and greatest things, and that there is always just one more thing that you need to complete your happiness to be utterly and totally healed of your despair. And the Bible tells us something utterly 
utterly different. And what, what really makes all of these foolish, right, whether it's, <laughs> whether it's living in the past and the future in, 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 instead of the present, whether it's treating the symptom instead of treating the illness, whether it's elevating expectation above hope, what ultimately makes all of those foolish is that it is looking to what is external to fix what is an internal darkness, an internal downcastness of soul, a woundedness and a weariness. And so if those are the foolish ways, what are the wise? Well, essentially they're the opposite, right? If it is foolish to live in the past and in the future, then it would be wise for us this morning to trust God for the future just as much as we trust Him for our past or vice versa so that we can savor Him in the present. Because when we savor Him in the present, when we, when we actually savor what Christ has done for us, what God has done for us and what He purposes to do for us, when we savor that, that, my friends, is a little taste of heaven. Because that's the reality that we're going to, right? We are sojourners after all. Treating the symptom instead of the illness, right? What would be the opposite of that? Well, the opposite of that would be to remember the primacy of our inner being, to not run away from those conversations that we have with ourselves, to not run away from the darkness that is inside of us, but to begin to deal with it because we know that when the spirit is strengthened, then we can deal with the circumstances of the outer life. And so I guess the question then, at least for this, is how, right? Like, okay, thanks, you know? And we already know from the Bible that this is very complex, and so we don't have time to address this in its fullness, but I'm going to give you one takeaway that I want you to try for, that, that I think, hopefully, will be a help to you in all of them, right? Remember, that I, I essentially covered five areas of your life that can negatively affect the inner being, your, your soul, the darkness of your soul, the despair that you experience, right? Physical, emotional, moral, existential, and faith. Some of you in the room this morning, you have been depressed for a really long time, and you know what? You might actually need a physician. There might not be any amount of words that are going to help and heal what is chemically, physically wrong inside of you. Some of us in the room this morning, you know, you've been on Xanax for a long time, and it's not doing anything, and what you need is a relational companion, a people who will gather around you and offer you their arms and their hearts and their lives and their support and a good word for your soul. Some of you need, need to rectify what's gone wrong morally in you. Some of you have been walking in deep, dark sin that is unconfessed, and you, you have not confessed it because you're afraid of what that might mean for you. Wisdom says that confession is the way to come out from underneath the darkness of soul that is brought on by this morality that we know exists but we can't seem to live up to.
Some of you, you just need a people to walk with you through the existential questions of life, to think through what death means and why it's a thing and why it exists and why despair is a thing and, why, and this, that, and the other. And some of you may need to be called back to your faith, where your faith really lies, where it should really rest, where your hope is. And I'm, I'm going to tell you this right now, knowing that we're not perfect. But that is what we long for the neighborhood parish to be. We long for it to be the place where you can have people alongside of you who are actively soothing your soul with the good word, who are reminding you that confession is not only welcome but appropriate in light of what Christ has done for us and that we can do so freely with confidence because we have an empathetic high priest who was tempted in every way, in every respect, yet was without sin for us. Some of you may need a group of people to offer all of those things and then be like, you know what, it might be time for a physician and to help you think through that. If you're not involved in the neighborhood parish, I would encourage you to get involved in one and I would encourage you to ask yourself these questions. If you're walking in a darkness and a weariness of soul, ask yourself, is it, is it a moral issue? Is there sin that's gone unconfessed that I need to make known, that I need to be set free from because that's what Christ has promised you? Do I, is, there, is there an emotional relational need that's not being met right now that I need to take to people and allow them into it? Are there questions that I need people to walk with me through? That's what that place is. And that's where you can ask those questions. And if you haven't asked those questions of yourself, I would ask them and then I would take them to that place. Then finally, our last bit of wisdom in the pursuit of joy. So first was to trust God for not just our past or not just our future, but for all of it, past, present, and future. The second one right, was to remember the primacy of the inner being. This is why Paul tells Timothy that, that physical training is of some value, but godliness is what we really need, right? If we're not actively working on our inner being, then we're just, we're working ourselves into a deficit we'll never rectify. Third and finally, the hope of the righteous brings joy. Remember your hope. Remember your hope. What is our hope? Well, verse 29 in chapter 10 of Proverbs says this, as we continue reading, the way of the Lord is a stronghold to the righteous, but destruction to evildoers. The righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. And so what is, remember, who are the righteous, right? Because of Jesus, that's you. And so what does it say? It says, that for the righteous, the way of the Lord is a stronghold. It's a defense. It's something that keeps us strengthened and emboldened, able to withstand the difficulties of the outward life. The righteous will never be removed. Right? This is that beautiful Romans passage, right? There's neither height nor depth, width nor breadth, angels, anything else in all creation that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, right? Matthew chapter 11, this is Jesus explaining to us what our hope is, right? He says this, come to me all who labor 
and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Remember your hope. Finally, from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's own power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Get this. In this, in this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you endure grievous trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is our hope. That is our fullest reality. And it's that hope that for the righteous brings joy. I'm reminded of one of my favorite stories. In the return of the king, there's uh, a moment where um, the outlook for the, the, the men of the world looks bleak in that uh, this great, seemingly impregnable city of Minas Tirith has been assaulted by all manner of evil creatures. And they're up into the different levels of the city, and it's sort of the, the last stand of, of the people there. And a little hobbit by the name of Pippin looks up to the wizard Gandalf, and he says this. He says, Gandalf, I didn't think that it would end this way. And tears are streaming down his face, knowing what's on the other side of the door that's about to be broken down. And Gandalf looks at Pippin, and he says this. He says, end? No, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one that we all must take. The gray rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass, and then you see it. And Pippin says, see what? What is it? And Gandalf says, white shores. And beyond, a far green country under a swift sunrise. And Pippin looks back at Gandalf and he says, well, that isn't so bad. And Gandalf says, no, no, it isn't. And then in that moment, you hear the door break and it wakes Pippin and Gandalf up. And Gandalf looks at Pippin and he goes, just like that, a simple acknowledgement of the hope that was to come, a simple acknowledgement that this is not it, that this is not all, that we really are, as First Peter tells us, that we really are sojourners, exiles in this land, and that one day we are going home. 
In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Learn from me. So how do we learn from Jesus with this in particular? Well, Hebrews 12 tells us this, that since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder of our faith and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You, you remember when Jesus, what Jesus was doing right before he's arrested? He was in a little garden, three of his disciples that had fallen asleep because it was early in the morning. And he's praying. And he's asking the Lord, God, if there is any way that these circumstances can be navigated around, if there's any way that we can avoid what I know I'm going to walk into, if there's any way, please take this cup from me. And of course, since we know the rest of the story, we know that Jesus' prayers didn't change his circumstance there, did they? They didn't, but they did steal his resolve. His prayers didn't change his circumstance, but they did steal his resolve in that he got up, he expressed real sorrow, real agony in tears, tears so agonizing that drops of blood were among them. And then he marched forward from that garden to his death for the joy set before him with the unshakable confidence in the hope that was his, the hope that was his, which, which was that his father was a good father and that his father was working good not only in him but through him. It was with that that he walked up, marched into the most difficult of inner turmoil, the weariest of souls, the most wounded of souls, the most downcast of souls. Jesus navigated in strength of the inner spirit through the hope that was his. And so we can learn from him, and when we do, we'll experience rest. Let's pray.